Ramble. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Bada bing, bada boobs. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. If you feel uncomfortable with me saying boobs, penis, porn, porn stars, sex, um, semen, all of these things, this one might not be the one for you because we've got a porn star at the center of a massive murder investigation. And we are talking about a lot of porn. I mean, it's just part of the research. <laughs> it's for research purposes. Scientific reasons only. I watched copious amounts of hours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hours of porn for this one. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I did look up some pictures and I'll explain why in a minute. He looks shocked. Why are you so shocked? What's going on? So we are talking about what? Porn We're star talking mur- about, murder? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's just such a complex story. So this is called the Wonderland murders. And it really begs the question of, you know, what's going on in Wonderland? Are people on drugs? Are people just having sex with each other? Why are people getting murdered in Wonderland? What and is where Wonderland? is Alice? Like Alice in Wonderland. Um, yes, sir. And Wonderland is in our backyard. It's in Los Angeles. Well, that's what people say. It's a pl- real place? Mm-hmm. Okay. In my pants. I'm just kidding. I don't know why I felt the need. <laughs> um, that was a really aggressive, like, just high school yeah. joke. I don't know what just... <laughs> Before we get started, I guess we really just have to talk about adult movie theaters because, you know, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm hoping that you guys are over the age of 18 when you're listening to this. But before the the days of VHR, B- VHR, VHC, VCR, <laughs> DVDs, those tapes. Okay, I'm 24, so I know DVDs. I'm really familiar with DVDs. I had a Lizzie McGuire movie DVD. Um, I rewatched <laughs> that like 10 times. My mom didn't want to buy me a lot of DVDs. So that was like the only DVD I really had for the longest time, you know. You want to of- explain to the Gen Zs what DVD is? Yeah, so it's like this CD. <laughs> what about what is CD? It's like this circle shiny aluminum and you put it into like this box that's connected to your TV. Mm, what and is a TV? It's like the screen on the wall. It's like a bigger iPad. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> and um, you play a movie. So they don't download it. They don't download it. They, they don't, don't stream it, it, honey. Who the fork downloads? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, before DVDs, before the internet, before you have a pocket just full of porn in your pocket at all times. If that you watch porn on your phone, I guess. <laughs> Where do you think people watched porn? Because porn didn't come about when DVDs came about. Porn didn't come about when, like, the internet came about. So where would people go and watch porn? Take a gander. Didn't you say 
movie theaters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Adult movie theaters. I mean, this, I don't know why I don't know a lot about this. I mean, this sounds right up my alley. Not a place that I'd probably go, but it just sounds like fascinating stuff that I'd be interested to learn about, right? But apparently there's adult movie theaters. Even to this day, there's a couple. I mean, they're very rare to find these days, I hear. There's not as many as there used to be in the 60s. And you go and they just play porn, like an hour and 30 minute long porn movie. And it's it's not like your typical porn that you would see on The Hub. It's not just going to be like 10 minutes of like... I mean, we're just not going to go there, but you get it like a random title. There's usually a plot to it, you know, like a real plot, like a real plot. Not a, a lot of it was man. like a detective plot. You know, there's some private investigators who are like, oh, my God, how did I find myself in this predicament? <laughs> you know, all of these things. So you go there and you watch porn. I mean, it started in California. By 1960, there was about 20 private theaters that really only showed porn on a daily basis. From 8 in the morning to like however long at night, they only played porn. And within 10 years, by 1970, there was over 750 porn theaters in the nation. Yeah, so it seems like the nation really liked porn. They were like, well, give us more. You know, there was lots of chains. Like, you know how we like... What's a, what's a chain? We like AMC. Well, there's chains for porn theaters. They're called Pussycat Theaters. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> yeah. One of them is like called Deja Vu Theater. You know, there's a lot. And at its height, Pussycat Theaters, I mean, they were a mogul. They were an adult movie theater mogul. They owned about 30, 30 different locations. That's crazy, honey. And then we'll have the, the hub just... Um, the hub took over. I feel like there was a blockbuster moment. And then there was like, you know, all these other moments. Yeah. And now it's really the hub. <laughs> so I was actually reading about this. I mean, this part has kind of a little bit to do about the rest of the case. But I wanted to know more about adult movie theaters. And there was this former manager who was interviewed. And he said, it's kind of crazy because most of the time you're constantly sponge mopping the walls. Wait, what? The walls. You have to mop the walls. In the theater? Yeah. Not That's just disgusting. the floors, but the walls. People went into like oh these closed God. down theaters with, oh, you know, those blue man. lights to see how much. Oh, man. Oh, God. It's like, you know, those little splatter paint works that you okay, do? we get it. It was like Honey, that. So they said that constantly the smell in there is like this strong industrial cleaner. <laughs> like it just smells oh. like that cleaner. But they said that you can kind of always smell, oh, something nasty under the scenes. Like you Ew. just don't know what it is, but it's there. And they said in the 60s, it was nuts. Like these days, it's really reserved for, you know, some people will go and have their bachelor parties, bachelorette parties there just as like a, yeah, like a moment, like a funny moment. You know, they're like, oh my God, like there's a theater and we're watching porn, you know. There's actually still going on. And then lots of couples will still go once in a while because it kind of has that like voyeur aspect where you're you're maybe having sex in front of other people. But um, technically, it's not the most legal thing in the world yeah so here's the thing with adult movie theaters technically it's illegal to have sex in there but the owners have an incentive to not really bust you on it like while you're busting <laughs> because then you won't come back and then people will be like oh that movie theater is lame like they just don't even let you do anything while you watch this porn 
That yeah. is insane. <laughs> so back in the day in the 60s, there would be sometimes orgies, they said, of like 20, 25 people. And it was crazy because like you think adult movie theater, like 2020, we think of it as like this crazy, oh my God, it's like this sex party, like these sex fiends. But the manager said in the 60s, you know, because porn was so hard to get by, you just had to go to these movie theaters. It was super normal. Like if you just covered up your eyes and didn't see the genitals of everyone. It just looked like a regular PTA vibe. Like everyone was just, you know, like parents after a long day, they'd come in here and watch some porn. <laughs> He's blinking. He's confused. And wow. there would be lots of, so that, that, I don't know how it is now, but back then in the 60s, they would have these sections. So they would have a couple section where couples can only go in if you're a couple. Like you'd have to have a partner, right? You go in and you can do stuff there and then they have a single section, for single men who just okay. like go by themselves and then just jerk off right Ugh. yeah but apparently like that's when you saw like you know how if people are addicted to porn today which there's a lot of people it's a real addiction right if they're addicted to porn today it might be difficult for an outsider to realize oh this person is, has a porn addiction right but back then i mean like they would go from 10 in the morning to 10 p.m just watching reruns of the same film that is weird. Yeah, it's because they were just so addicted to it. And I don't know if it was the experience of like, you know, <laughs> like, okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or whatever it was. So the rules technically was that you can't masturbate, but it happens. You know, people would ejaculate onto tissues, into bottles, just about anywhere. At one point, half of Times Square in New York City. Yes, the Times Square. Now that's like Forever 21 and just billboards, right? It used to be half porn shops and adult theaters. Times Square? Yeah. And then wow. they got a new um, mayor, but then his last name's Giuliani, Rudolph Giuliani. And he just like made it so that it was banned. And now there's a bunch of laws that you have to be, I think you can't be within like a thousand, I don't know if it was miles or feet within a church, a park, or a residential area or something like mm. that. So they got rid of a lot of these theaters. Now, for the big screen, who's on the big screen? Well, let me tell you. A big peen. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So today's story is about John. Now, his name is John Holmes, and he was a porn star. And he was probably one of the biggest porn stars at the time. People said what Michael Jackson is to music is what John Holmes was to the porn industry. I don't know how credible that is, okay? I don't really know my history on porn. I would just say that's a really, really high standard to set, okay? So John Holmes, he was specifically known for having a humongous this <laughs> yeah i mean you know i'm 24 i can say it i'm gonna say it with my chest why am i acting like that's such a bad word it's a medical word he had a big penis <laughs> oh god i feel weird <laughs> i feel inappropriate okay so he was on the his big ween was on the big screen okay so his large penis was known for the large the longest, the thickest, the hardest, and the longest lasting penis in the industry. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, that, like, that was such a good one. That was such a good one. Now, unfortunately, in one area, he was not the first, you know. <laughs> in a lot of aspects, he was the best. But he was actually the second best in seminal volume. Seminal volume, which is um, exactly quantity of how much uh, semen comes out. 
There's a competition. There's a competition in the There's porn industry. There's a chart. There's a chart because, you know, at the money shot, you want a lot to work with. You don't want like a little drop drop. You don't want to sprinkle. You want a freaking rainstorm. Interesting. Yeah. So he was only the second higher. So it was a little bit of a downer there. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Also, did you guys know the speed of ejaculation is 30 miles per hour? I'm just Dang. saying. I just felt like you should know this. My fiance is incredibly uncomfortable right now. I wish you could see his face. He's just like, why are we talking about this? I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So John Holmes, he was born in Asheville, Ohio. So he really didn't just like up and one day decide to become a porn star. He actually wanted to do a lot in Los Angeles. So he's born in Ohio and he was born in this super rural town and he was the youngest of four children. So ever since he was young, there's a lot about his kind of family life that's very just strange like not just it's not completely normal right so his mom's name is mary and his biological dad was carl but he didn't know that he thought his entire life almost that his biological dad was edgar holmes he even had the same last name as holmes and he didn't find out until he was way older and he was applying for a passport to go travel to italy when they were like hey in order to get a passport you need to show me your birth certificate he's like hey mom can i get my birth certificate and it says carl estes as the dad so he's like who the fuck is carl Mm -hmm. like my dad's edgar and his mom was like well, no, he's not. And so, I mean, I, I don't know if there was trauma associated with that. I can only imagine that to be kind of, I would just be really confused, right? Yeah. So he had three older half siblings, which he considered his full siblings. And that's what he believed. I mean, also, he probably just didn't really even care, right? That he loves them. They're his three older siblings. And his mom had a really toxic relationship with Edgar Holmes. Like they got married and divorced three times. And then they finally got married again. And the first time that they got married, Mary was only 17 years old and Edgar was 35. So it's just constantly like married, divorced, married, divorced, and then so on and so forth. And I think they finally stayed together after their fourth marriage together. So fourth times the charm, not third. Okay. And there was a lot of turmoil in the house. So dad, Edgar, always drunk. I mean, he was a bit of an alcoholic. He would even kind of like stumble into the house, like just slurring his words, saying some nonsense because he was so drunk and then vomit on the children. Like he would just accidentally throw up all over the children, which is like, it's it's not funny, but it's like, really, dude, like you can't even dodge a little. Yeah. Aim somewhere else. Yeah. Like what? is that and so every time that they would get divorced mary would take all of the kids and they would go live in this low-income apartment um that was government run so they're called projects right and she would waitress to support the kids and she really did a lot to try to support her children but i mean it's just really difficult being a single mom more so than than now right and so at 15 years old he gets his mom's permission he's like hey mom i want to go to the army So his mom's like, okay, I just have to write you a letter and say that I'm okay with you being in the army. I don't know if you can do that now, can you? That sounds a little crazy. And so he takes this little permission slip that his mom gives him and he joins the army and he serves three years in West Germany. Same place that Jeffrey Dahmer served. I guess there was just a lot of bases in West Germany, right? And he was honorably discharged. It didn't seem like he had any major problems while he was in the army. Now from the army, he also decides, listen, I want to go back to Ohio. I don't know what is in Ohio for me. I'm 18. I got to live my own dream. I got to live my own life. I'm going to go to Los Angeles, the city of angels, the city of dreams. Wonderland is what people call it, right? Woo! <sighs> 
we live in LA. It's a lot of fires. <laughs> it's a lot of rent and a lot of fires, but it's a very romantic experience, I guess. I mean, that's why we moved here years ago. Yeah. So with the same same little dream in a backpack, he moves to LA, okay? God, I want to bust out in that Miley Cyrus song. What song? Party in the USA. Go ahead. I can't. Yeah. Everyone would literally stop listening right now. That's true. <laughs> so he moves to LA and he starts getting a bunch of odd jobs, which I feel like honestly is the experience everyone has when they move here, right? So he's like a door-to-door salesman and then he starts working at a coffee factory and then he became like an ambulance driver. <laughs> so uh, he was really resourceful at finding these job applications. He was like, you know what? Nothing is too weird for me. So he was just switching around a lot. Now, when he was an ambulance driver, that's where he meets his first wife who was a nurse her name was Sharon and Mm -hmm. at 21 years old he married beautiful Sharon and that's when he gets a new job he said listen I don't want to be an ambulance driver anymore I want to go be a forklift driver at a meatpacking warehouse so he goes and he does that now that's when I think like the couple's health just was deteriorating specifically John's so he had this idea that constantly breathing in like that hot dry air that California has in the summer and then going into this really cold freezer air three times you know like just constantly for hours and then coming back out into the desert air he felt like it was doing something to him and actually three times during two years he got something called pneumothorax pneumothorax which is pretty much an abnormal collection of air between your lung and your chest walls. So it's not, typically it's not deadly, but it causes a lot of pain in your chest and Mm. usually one side of your chest and then shortness of breath. Wow. So he suffered that three times during two years. So he was like, listen, I can't do this anymore. So one day, this is how it's said that he was found. Like, you know how in L.A. you just want to be found? You want to be discovered? You want to be walking down the mall? And then a producer is like, do you want to be in the next remake of Gossip Girl? You know, like, that's what everyone wants to do. Or like, you're humming at Whole Foods. You're like, and everyone's like, oh. You should be the next Ariana Grande. Like, that's what everyone wants, right? Like, why else do we live here? (laughs) (laughs) Me? I go into Whole Foods and I'm like, and then she was stabbed 15 times. I'm just waiting (laughs) to become a true crime podcaster. (laughs) Like, to get scouted. No one one wants me to become a true crime podcaster. (laughs) Okay, so porn career. This is how he gets discovered. It's kind of crazy. He was peeing at a urinal and a photographer who was peeing next to him. I mean, I feel like that breaks bro code because you're supposed to like separate a couple stalls, but he was like, nah, I'm gonna just get right up next to him. So he's peeing in the urinal next to him and he looks over and he's like, that's the biggest penis I've ever seen. And he was like, you know, I yeah, he's a photographer. Sometimes he works film sets for porn. So he's like, I need to hook you up with my director. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. Okay, speaking of, (laughs) I swear, (laughs) I swear this was completely a hundred percent (laughs) planned. Listen, ladies, this one is for you. It's been weird just staying at home all day, not going outside. I haven't been to an adult movie theater or anything. Like, it's hard. Every time you look on the news, everything's just so sad. Every time you do anything, it's just kind of lackluster. Life in general seems really anticlimactic, right? And sometimes we bring that vibe, that energy, that experience to the bed and that's not cool because i don't want anticlimactic experiences in bed i want 
very very climactic experience okay <laughs> okay the point is what i'm trying to say is that listen every woman deserves to experience a stronger and a lot more frequent orgasms i'm just gonna be honest okay like <laughs> we deserve it that's why i've been using oh shout woman listen oh shout woman is here to help you take charge of your sex life and it gives you pleasure that you deserve i love their cbd infused arousal oil um i was a little bit skeptical when i first started because i was like okay like <laughs> this is a little risque but it's amazing and i think the thing about it is that it's actually developed by women for women so you know that this product like it does what it says it's gonna do and the best part is like you know how sometimes you're like walking down like your favorite aisles and you're like oh this one's cool it's another little arousal oil but it's supposed to make me feel hot or cold i guess and it's just like that one ingredient that provides just one sensory feeling but what if you could feel the whole rainbow? What if you could feel it all? <laughs> and that's what I get with their CBD infused arousal oil. Seriously. So you just simply apply it to your intimate areas and you instantly start experiencing this like tingling and this like warming, but then it's also lubricating and it just increases your sensitivity and it provides you the ultimate climax. <laughs> and your partner's gonna love it too. Partner, say something. <laughs> it's a hundred percent edible so oshot cbd is now offering my listeners 20 percent off of oshot the discount also applies towards any product on their entire website so just go to oshotcbd.com today and enter code rotten that is o-s-h-o-t-c-b-d.com and enter code rotten to get 20 percent off the whole oshot site-wide so his porn career just starts taking off. So the first feature films that he did was a series where he became a private investigator and he was known as Johnny Wad. That just took off. Like all of these theaters are like, we need, we're going to show Johnny Wad a million times, a bajillion times. So many people love Johnny Wad. They love that he was an actual army veteran in real life because he had served three years in West Germany. They love the fact that he was tall. He had this big peen primarily. That's what they really like right and he was known to be very outgoing and charismatic even off camera so it really translated well in these feature films so almost immediately after that series they followed up with some um very very interesting names of flesh of the lotus was his next feature film what's that is the title of his porn flesh of the flesh of the lotus can I get two tickets for Flesh of the Lotus, please? Sounds very artsy. Yeah, it sounds really artsy. I'm sure we see a lot of peen in that one. Okay, and he was killing it. So he was making about $13,000 a day. And um, that's with calculated in, um, inflation. So back in the day, he was probably making, I think, $3,000. Yeah, or something like that. But it was $13,000 a day. And that's when he really started getting into cocaine. Now, cocaine is really intense. I mean, this around this time, cocaine was really intense everywhere. But it was really, really intense in the entertainment world. Hollywood, porn, everyone was on cocaine. It was like the newest thing, right? So they were like, yes, we love cocaine. So he starts snorting up cocaine all the time. And he gets arrested. Now, he's arrested for all of the gray area of porn. So porn is like, this is like the golden age, people say when porn was just coming out like the movie deep throat came out or something and everyone was just oh my god like there's the best thing that's ever happened in the entertainment industry at one point porn stars were more famous than like regular stars like they were the a-listers are they not today 
I feel like they're not like A-listers. Like if oh. I gave you a porn star name versus Brad Pitt, you'd probably notice Brad Pitt first, no? Yeah, I don't know any porn star names. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> <laughs> and so because they didn't really know like the specifics of like, okay, is this even legal to film people who just having sex? And then like the police were kind of confused. So he was arrested by LAPD at one point for pimping and pandering. So pandering is like trying to either get prostitutes or to sell your services, right? So he was arrested for that and he made a deal in jail to become an informant for the LAPD. Now, I don't really think he did anything like he didn't really inform anyone about shit, but it gets weird later. That's when he meets Don Schiller and now everything. Wait, so what, why, why is he not? He's not no longer in the porn industry. No, he is. He's just doing some cocaine and being in porn. And he's doing some other shit. Yeah, so we're going to get into that. It gets real sad. So that's when he meets Don Schiller. He's a busy bee, you know? Like, he, he'll film a feature film, and then he'll go and he'll do some shit, right? That's when he meets a 15-year-old Don Schiller. Now, Don, she had just moved into this apartment complex with her family, and this apartment complex was, at the time, being managed by his then-wife, Sharon. So he would stop by the apartment complex to visit Sharon at work, and that's when he was like, oh my god, this 15-year-old is quite attractive disgusting illegal right but he just was um very taken by don now don had moved from florida recently and she was feeling really alone like when you're 15 you just move you leave all your friends and now you're in california and you're like what the fuck am i doing here parents i didn't want to be here and then like her parents were so stressed about the move that they just were not paying her enough attention so that's when john just swooped in and was like hey don you want a tour of California and she was like yeah I would love a tour so he would literally drive her around in his fancy car and be like look at these palm trees look at this look at that wife doesn't know no I mean later they get a divorce yeah Mm. but in the beginning she didn't know and then he would bring her all these presents all the time just jewelry gifts I mean just not stuff you should be doing with a 15 year old how old was she was he then he was old like 30s I believe oh wow yeah so now He would even bring her to an adult movie theater where his film was playing. Oh, my God. And everyone in that theater was just like, oh, my God, dude, like, that's your big peen on that big screen. Um, Can I get a can I get a big peen autograph, you know? And he was just getting swarmed by all of the fans inside of that movie theater. And of course, when you're 15, this isn't alarming for you. Like when you're 15, you're not going to be like, oh, my God, I'm getting groomed. Like you're like, whoa, this is cool. Like people really love him. Like he has fans. He is, you know, he's so nice to his fans. Like she was just kind of swept up in it. She was like, this is like a crazy life. Like, what the heck is going on? And he's so nice and he's always buying me gifts. And he really, in the beginning, never made her feel uncomfortable. Like, he didn't, like, try to pressure her into doing anything. So she just felt completely, like, under his wing, like, under his spell. And then slowly, he would get more serious. He would tell her things like, no, I love you. (laughs) No, like, you're just mature for your age. Which I'm just going to be honest... No 15-year-old is mature for their age. When a dude tells you that, don't believe it. Run. When a dude that's not 15 tells you that, okay? Just run. And so he would always say these things to her, and she felt really special. Now, this also coincided... Like, it was a coincidence that her parents were really busy at the time. So she just was getting a lot of that attention from John. Mm -hmm. So when she's 16, her family decides to move to Oregon. And for whatever reason, her parents were totally chill with her staying in L.A. with John Holmes. What? So the dad gives her a hug, says goodbye, and hands Don a $20 bill and tells her good luck. 
and just leaves. What kind of fucking parents is that? I know. Really bad. And that's when she said everything just flipped a switch. So before all of this, you know, John would just take her out on these lavish gifts, lavish trips, would just be so mm. nice, like would say all these things like, I love you so much, like you were blah, 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 blah. And she would just be like, wow, I found my prince charming, right? And then immediately after the parents were gone, he became incredibly abusive and controlling. He would not let her talk to anyone. Like, you can't call your parents. You can't talk to your friends that you made in L.A. You can't even talk to the postman. Don't talk to him. Why are you fucking talking to the postman? Like, he was becoming so possessive that it was scary. And that's around the time when his cocaine addiction was really just racking it up. Like, he was constantly high. And that really caused him to have this crazy, just scary erratic behavior so this was really bad for dawn because she would never know what's gonna happen because he's always doped up on cocaine mm-hmm. now it would be really bad at work because he's supposed to be you know working with all the, it's i mean it's a very sensitive workplace you know you have a lot of naked vulnerable people you have cameras you've got lots of things going on right and erratic behavior is the last thing directors want like it's yeah. not a free-for-all like directors even in the porn industry they're like no we're super professional i actually we had friends who were um producers in porn so they were like the filmographers and they said it's literally not what you think like we're not just like oh yeah like do that do this it's it's like all very professional and all very scripted and everything is done to the t the angles are planned beforehand you know like erratic behavior is not okay so his directors start kind of getting a little bit mad at him and then it really starts to fall apart because cocaine makes his peen soft he couldn't Uh-oh. get it up. And I mean, like, in most workplaces, that would really, that would be the opposite of a problem, right? But um, it was a massive problem. No, really a massive problem. <laughs> Sorry, are we not getting my jokes? <laughs> so he started getting fired off of these film sets because they're like, you can't even get hard. Like, we can't work. And now because we can't even depend on you to get work, like, we rented this spot. We're paying everybody else, all the crew. And hello, anybody home, you know, and so they were getting really upset with him. And that's when he started getting more just into cocaine. He was like, whatever, I'm not even working anymore. So he kind of stops working at that time in the porn industry. And he just starts just taking up more cocaine and he's selling drugs. He's even prostituting himself. So he would, you know, either sleep with men or women. It really didn't matter to him as long as he got paid. So he became a prostitute. He did credit card fraud. He did petty theft. I mean, he even went as far to go to LAX and go to baggage claim and like steal people's luggage to try to sell the contents of it. So he was just, I mean, he was spending more than $13,000 a day on cocaine. So he's desperate for money, for drugs. Oh, desperate. Yeah. And the place that he gets his drugs is in Laurel Canyon, which is in the hills. We know Laura Canyon. We've drove by. It's a really nice boozy area. And it's in the, it's like a hilly community. And at the time, it was like the place to be. Like that's where all the celebrities were living, you know. Um, and he said it was going to Wonderland. And that's what Don said, that they're going to Wonderland. Because the house that he bought cocaine from was actually 8763 Wonderland Avenue. Wait, wait, wait. Who's going there? John and Don. 
Oh, he's taking her too. Yeah, so he buys cocaine from 8763 Wonderland Avenue. Is that a house? Yeah. And so it's called Wonderland Avenue. This is known as the Wonderland Murders just because of everything involved. So, I mean, it's obviously a play on the name of the street, but it's also a play on like the, this is exactly what people think like Alice in Wonderland is like drugs, sex, just weird characters, you know, because you've got so many different types of people in this Mm, story that's very confusing and then it's almost like this, like people kind of see L.A. of that life as like this vortex. Like you go in and then it's like a completely different world and you're just like swarming about like what the fork is going on here? And why is everyone in yoga pants, you know? Like it's just weird. So he goes to Wonderland to get his drugs. And inside of that house, there's about four people living there. So Joy Miller was the person who was leasing this townhome and she was a complete heroin addict. Now, prior to leasing this place, she actually was married to a super wealthy man and lived in this like beautiful Beverly Hills place and she ended up falling in love with Billy Deverell which was a drug dealer and they even called their whole gang the Wonderland gang. And they even had like gang members outside of this um, townhome that like helped them sell drugs. Right. So Billy Deverell was the second in command to the Wonderland gang. And he was kind of like just he was a drug dealer, ex-convict. He wasn't known particularly to be evil. He was kind of known to be like, hey, I got addicted to drugs i sold drugs and now i can't get any more jobs because i'm a felon so now i have to keep selling drugs and doing more drugs because i get sad that i'm still selling drugs right so he seemed more of like a victim of circumstance and less of like this really evil just drug dealing you know nasty nasty right mm-hmm. now ron on the other hand Ron was a different breed. So Ron Lanius, he was the leader of the Wonderland gang. And he also lived in this apartment or this townhome. And he has a huge criminal history. I mean, he was a violent dude. So he actually joined the army and he went to war in the Vietnam War. And he decided, hey, I'm going to deal. I'm going to bring back a bunch of drugs from Vietnam because it's cheaper here. I'm going to bring it to the U.S. and I'm going to sell it. And he's like, well, how do I do that? Like, I'm in the army. Like, they're going to check my bags. So he's like, I'm going to stuff it into the dead bodies of these u.s army men who had died because they bring the bodies back like if you die in war and they can find your body or they see your body they bring your body back so that your family can put you to rest so he was like yeah i'm gonna put the drugs in these bodies and then take them out because no one's gonna do like a search on these dead bodies because that'd be disrespectful That is so extreme. Yeah. So he was real nasty. Like that just kind of shows you his character. Right. So he would do all of these things. He was actually a person of interest um, in the LAPD for over two dozen homicides. So he was uh, really just. (laughs) But wasn't arrested. (laughs) No, but just a real nasty dude. Uh, So he was almost arrested and he was going to go to court recently for the murder of somebody. Uh But the key witness just um, died. (laughs) oh lord just died (laughs) like cool Uh that's not suspicious at all but do you want to know what's not suspicious at all what the amazing grammar in all of my emails let me tell you something okay before i started using grammarly i used to have this thing where i really hated i hated responding to emails it was something that i dreaded and it wasn't because i didn't like the task of emails itself it was the fact that i didn't like the task of constantly googling the phrase am i saying the phrase correctly am i spelling everything right i mean that's the basic right but what about all the grammatical errors that i could possibly be making is my tone too casual is 
Is it too formal? I was just plagued with all of these questions on a daily basis that my fiance actually, even before Grammarly and I partnered up, he told me, he said, well, just download this app. <laughs> and I started using the free version of Grammarly, which you guys definitely need to check out because it gives you not just spelling error checks, but it also gives you grammatical error checks as you write. And it's completely free. So whether you guys are writing an email to your colleagues, to your professor, to your friends, whatever it may be, it makes sure that you have none of those errors inside of your work. Or let's say you're writing an essay. Gotta get that Grammarly. But now I, I personally use the premium version because let me tell you, holy cow, it's going to change your writing game. Not only are you going to make a statement, people are like, wow, you are so much more mature and so much more well put together than your videos. And I'm like, listen, it's Grammarly. It's not me. <laughs> it gives me advanced suggestions on grammar, punctuation, sentence structure, and style. So it's kind of the perfect writing tool for anyone. Honestly, I even use it in my text messages and it works with everything. So wherever you're writing, it works with your favorite websites like Outlook, Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. It also gives you feedback on tone, word choice. I have a really big problem with repeating a lot of words when I'm typing and it helps just get rid of that. It cleans it up so nicely. It also helps with plagiarism just in case you guys are writing an essay. So make sure to get 20% off of Grammarly Premium when you sign up at Grammarly.com slash Rotten Mango. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash Rotten Mango. Thank you, Grammarly, for sponsoring today's <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Now back to the story. And then the fourth character who lived there was David Lind. And he was also a gang member and a biker. And they called themselves the Wonderland Gang. So that's everybody that lived primarily at the Wonderland house. And Dawn was never allowed in. So she would just wait outside in the car. She would look at this townhome and she would just sit there. And she would say, like, if I had to pee, I would have to pee in a Coke bottle. Like, the, I just couldn't do anything. She was so scared. And she yeah. asked, you know, why can't I just go inside and use the restroom? Like, I don't really like peeing in this Coke bottle. And yeah. John was like, listen, this gang is so freaking dangerous. Like you can't know. Like uh -huh. no one needs to know that you're even here. No one needs to know that you would exist. Like this is for your safety. Is he so he's actually trying to protect her? Kind of. So it's a mixture of he wants to protect her, but also he is so disgustingly possessive. Mm. Like he wants to keep her around as this little like sex thing that nobody knows about. Got it which is just weird. And to be honest, I mean, the safety part in this sense made a lot of sense because the Wonderland gang, they treated John Holmes like a freaking punk. Like they really did. So Ron Lanius, the leader, he hated him so much for no reason that anytime John would come around as he's like snorting up coke, he would just smack him around on the face. Like just like, you're a little bitch. And just slap him around. And John took it. Because he was like, I literally don't care. I just need drugs. Wow. Drugs will do some crazy things, guys. And then in comes another character by the name of Eddie Nash. I know. Like, it's a lot of names, but it's a lot of, like, crazy people in today's story, okay? So Eddie Nash was known to be the king of nightlife in L.A. He was a multimillionaire. I mean, just loaded. But he wasn't always like this. So let me give you a little bit of details. The spill the tea on Eddie Nash. So he was actually born in Palestine. 
And the Nash family was really well off at the time. They owned about 48 hotels. He was really business savvy. But then a lot of things happened at the time and he ended up in a refugee camp. So then he ends up immigrating to the United States when he's in his 20s and he has $7, like just in his hand, seven US dollars. That's about it. That's it. He just moves to the US and he starts working in Hollywood. He becomes an actor at one point. He does some stuntman stuff. He was an expert horseman because he did grow up in a very well off family before tragedy struck, right? Mm -hmm. And so he would do all of these things, get paid. And then eventually, like, he even had a hot dog stand on Hollywood Boulevard. (sighs) Yeah, real PewDiePie vibes right there, right? He used to be a hot dog stand person, PewDiePie, Uh, before he became a YouTuber. I see. Yeah, so he had a hot dog stand in Hollywood Boulevard. And then he expanded his business to opening up several nightclubs, restaurants, and strip clubs. I think he had over like 20, like close to 20 at one point. And he dominated nightlife. And he was such a master marketer. He had a nightclub or a restaurant for everyone. You're heterosexual. You're homosexual. You've got a weird fetish that's really unique. He's got it offer you you will have a place to feel comfortable and have fun sounds like a nice dude right yeah no (laughs) (laughs) so at the same time he was a drug dealer so he would sell through all these clubs right okay so he had more power than the police department at one point than the lapd which is intense he sold tons of narcotics he sold he made massive parties in his little mansions and they would just he was kind of sex crazy and he was weird he was a weird dude so he would come out of the bathroom after taking a poo poo yeah and he wouldn't wipe And he would find the most desperate girls who are just addicted to drugs, you know, because that was primarily who was hanging out around him was people who were addicted to drugs trying to score their next hit. And that's Mm -hmm. who he surrounded himself by. And he loved that. He wanted to take advantage of people. So um, he would come out of there not wiping his butt. And he would say, listen, ladies, you lick my butt clean and I'll give you cocaine. And so they would lick his butt clean. And he would give them little bits of cocaine and he would always have like around eight college girls living with him at any given time. He wanted to be like the next Hugh Hefner. That was his dream. And lots of people in L.A. said that he was a sociopath, like he was a narcissist. Sure, he has lots of clubs. Sure, American dream story. Wow. But people think he was just nasty. The people who genuinely knew him. Now, what's very interesting is that he also was addicted to porn. He was like, I love porn and I am Johnny Wad's biggest fan. So he loved the Johnny Wad series. So then one day, one of his little minions comes up and is like, hey, boss, you know how you love Johnny Wad? Well, John Holmes was recently in one of our clubs and he bought drugs. And so he's like, really? Bring him to my home. I want to hang out with Johnny Big Peen Wad. What? Yeah. Uh huh. Some weird weird people. Yeah. And so Eddie meets John Holmes. And Eddie, at first, he was starstruck. He was like, God damn. He loved his sexual prowess. He said he just wanted to be around John the whole time. Now, John, he was starstruck too by all the cocaine, by all the power, by all the money, by all the, oh my God, like this could be my next thing, right? And so John Holmes just constantly was trying to prove himself towards Eddie Nash. And so he even decided to connect the Wonderland gang, who were primarily heroin dealers, to connect with the Nash gang so that they could kind of, Nash could supply for the Wonderland, Wonderland could sell, you know, what do you call it? 
drug dealing. I'm just kidding. Like, you know, you know, supply and demand. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. Like, you know, they were just going to get connected so they could all make more money. And this actually got him a lot of respect from both sides. The Wonderland gang were like, you're friends with Eddie Nash. Holy shit. Maybe you're not a loser. Right. Uh And then Eddie Nash was like, man, you're bringing me business. Shit. Like you could connect me with some big players, huh? Like good for you. Right now at first, it seems that John Holmes liked Eddie was kind of admiring Eddie for everything he had accomplished, everything he had. And then Uh it turned to dislike because, you know, Eddie's really just not a likable person, to be honest. I think it'd be really hard to stay with him long term and really just be like, what a good dude. Right. (sighs) And so he just started to fear him more than anything. Like any feeling he had about Eddie Nash was just fear, 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 fear. That's it. Damn. He was just so scared. But he's still around him? Yeah, because he he's so addicted to cocaine. Oh. But then every day that he would spend with Eddie Nash, he would be more scared of just how scary and how powerful Eddie Nash is. So is Ed, does Eddie still like him, though? Is Eddie still treating him nice? Eddie is treating him nice, but Eddie is um, not someone who really likes anyone like that. He likes mm. people, but he's really Eddie Nash before anyone type of dude. Okay. So if you cross him, that's it for you. Got right? It. So he was receiving drugs from him, but he just... John just always wanted a little bit more. Now, Don Don was a secret from Eddie. Mm. He just said, listen, Don, Eddie can never know about you because mm-hmm. he's one of the scariest people you'll ever meet. He will kill everyone if he wanted to. He can. If he randomly wakes up and wants to kill me, he's going to do it. Like, that's how scary he is. Damn. Even though Eddie was supplying him cocaine, he just wanted more. So this is where you're going to get mad. That's when he forces Don into prostitution. Wait, wait. John Holmes. Why is that? Because Eddie Nash was giving him cocaine, Uh but it just wasn't enough, you know? And Eddie Nash isn't trying to give him $13,000 worth of cocaine for no reason every day. So he was like, this is not enough cocaine for me. So he forced Don into prostitution. And if she said no or she resisted, he beat her. One day he starts beating her at the motel that they're staying at and the security hears. So he busts through the door and he arrests, he calls the police and they arrest John Holmes. Now here's the thing, he cannot afford bail for any of this, right? Mm -hmm. So immediately as he's getting arrested, he's like, fuck, this is the only option. He tells Don to call Eddie Nash and say that your brother's in jail and he needs to bail him out. So she's scared. She's like, what do you mean? Like you told me that this is the scariest person on earth and now you want me to talk to him while you're in jail? Like what do you want me to do? So So she calls him and he says, "Okay, I'll be right there. And he bails John Holmes out. Uh Now, here's the thing. Now, John owes him. Yeah. And Eddie's not the type that's like, hey, you're like family. I'll forget about it. Don't worry. I'm going to just bail you out of jail. They're not best buds. You know, Eddie Nash is a master marketer and just a master businessman. Like he's business savvy. He does not do anything for free. Nothing. And so they come to a common agreement, which is that they both really like young girls. So Don was 19 at the time. And Eddie, who had spoken to her on the phone, said, you know, why didn't you ever tell me about this girl? I didn't know you had a girlfriend. And so he was like, oh, well, she's not really a girlfriend. I've been taking care of her since she was young. And he was just trying to downplay it. Mm-hmm. And that's when Eddie says, well, just give me her for the night and we'll call it even. 
So dawn became a peace offering between John Holmes and Eddie Nash. So on Christmas Day, John delivers dawn to Eddie, drops her off at his house, and she was terrified. I mean, all of the things that he would come home and say about Eddie, and now she's to sleep with him. First of all, I mean, I can't even unpack the trauma of every part of this, right? But she was just so nervous. Now, she did recall that John said that she was going to be tested. He didn't know how Eddie was going to test her, but she was going to be tested. Almost everyone that enters Eddie's house is tested. So Don enters the room and he leaves her in the living room. And there was on the little coffee table, a gold watch, a stack of money, um, a money clip, a bag of weed, and just right in front of her. And he said, I'll be right back. Now, she did remember that John told her that there's a two-way mirror and he likes to test people with that mirror. So he leaves all these valuables out. And if you even touch it, mm-hmm. like you will end up in the desert, he said. Mm-hmm. That's what John Holmes said. You know, that's what mm-hmm. happens to people. Like you never make Eddie feel like he can't trust you because he gets so mad about it. Yeah. So she sat there for over an hour mm-hmm. while she was being tested. And then she hears Eddie calling her name mm-hmm. to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. so you know we can all we know what happened right so john holmes picks her up the next morning and he starts asking her what happened so she tells him about the test and then she tells him about this and then she tells him about the part where you know they spent the night together and john gets so mad that he just punches her in the face and it seems like he wasn't mad at Don. It seems like he was mad at Eddie and the fact that he was powerless and he felt like he had to offer Don as a peace offering, which, by the way, like how forked up is even that thinking, right? But it seems like he punched her just in full anger. <laughs> now, four days later, Eddie's like, listen, I want Don again. And this was on her birthday. So she was turning 20 years old and she just remembered feeling so sad because she just was like, She said all she could say all day to John was, but it's my birthday. Like, but it's my birthday. And so she went because she felt like she had no choice. And then afterwards, she said there was like this moment where she was so scared because she was looking in the mirror and there was like this weird disconnect. And she was like, what the fork's going on? Like, this is weird. This is so weird. So she immediately just like, it's like, I can't do this anymore. And she leaves to be with her parents in Oregon. And that's when John turns on his little charm and he calls her every single day while she's with her parents and is like, baby, I love you. I'll never do that to you ever again like this is crazy like he was going back to the first john that she ever met when she was 15 Mm. and you know the way that she was groomed don loves she thinks she loves john like she thinks it's a true love it's not just grooming it's not abuse it's love in Don's eyes. So she, she gets lured back to L.A. So June of 1981, she flies back to L.A. And John says, listen, I promised over the phone that we're going to have a, an amazing future together. And trust me, we will, because I just have to do one last deal. One last deal. We're going to make some money and we're going to disappear forever and live in peace away from Eddie Nash, away from the Wonderland gang, just having a good time. Speaking about having a good time, listen, I've been having a great time. <laughs> um, I'm not 
not just talking about the O shot. I'm just kidding. I'm also talking about Philo. Listen, we got a TV in our bedroom. And at first, my fiance was so hesitant. He was like, why? Why do we need a TV in our bedroom? I don't want to pay a bajillion dollars so that we can have like 25,000 different channels that we're, they're not even playing what we want to watch all the time. And I said, listen, if I can find a way that it's not a bajillion dollars, we're getting a TV in our room. And Philo is the way to do it. Listen, I love TV. I hate the size of cable bills. And if that's you, Philo is your solution, okay? It's the TV for everyone. It's live and it's on demand for just $20 a month. And if you guys love watching true crime stuff like I do, like they have Investigation Discovery. They've got Lifetime. They've got A&E. They've got Nickelodeon. You want to watch Killing Eve, The Daily Show, 90 Day Fiance, The Walking Dead. Or it's 3 a.m., your fiance falls asleep and for some reason... You have to watch Love and Hip Hop, okay? Like, I don't know what it is. It's just like the right time for Love and Hip Hop. That's me. And Philo is amazing. And the best part is it's cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free, and it has amazing customer service. And you can DVR unlimited. So you can choose what time works for you. You never have to be like, oh my God, I got to go watch this show. You can just download it. It saves all your shows. You can watch it on your own schedule. And you can create multiple profiles for multiple streams. So nobody has to fight over what to watch anymore. You can watch from your phone, your laptop, your tablet, your TV. I mean, it's really amazing. So now more than ever, TV really shouldn't cost an arm and a leg, okay? So make sure to go sign up at 5 Philo.tv slash rotten and you'll get 25% off your first two months. Munch? <laughs> Am I hungry? <laughs> two months, which is insane because it's $20 a month. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash R-O-T-T-E-N. So he says, one last deal, baby. So John Holmes leaves and he's gone for about a day and a night. And he comes home the next day with the largest pile of cocaine that Dawn has ever seen in her entire life. And she doesn't really ask what's going on, right? So they smoke a little bit. And that's when John reveals, listen, the plan is we're going to sell all of this cocaine and we're going to run with that money. We're going to leave town. We're going to go wherever you want. Where do you want to go? We can go to Florida. We can go to Texas. What do you want to do, baby? The world is ours. And so she's getting excited and she's like, oh my God, like this is a great idea, right? And so he's like, okay, all I have to do now is I have to go sell all of this cocaine so she says okay and he says maybe it's gonna take me about a day okay I mean that's not too bad that's a lot of cocaine for a day like that's that's good so maybe we can leave like earliest in a couple days that's great right and she's getting a little bit excited and he leaves with all of the cocaine to sell and he doesn't come back for like a couple days like much later than they agreed on uh-huh. And she sees that something's weird. I mean, the moment that he got out of his car, he's moving weird. He's moving a little bit slow. His eyes are completely red and bloodshot. There's like no color in his face. She doesn't know how to describe it other than like all the blood was drained from his face, but not in a natural way. It just was so weird. And so he immediately enters the motel room. He pops a bunch of Valiums. It's a really intense sedative that treats anxiety, muscle spasms, and seizures. But it's a controlled substance, so it's a really intense one. So I'm sure it's very, very strong. So he takes a Valium, or multiple Valiums, actually, she said. And he goes to bed, and he's just tossing and turning the whole day. Like, he's sleeping during the day, right? And he's having these nightmares. He's screaming. And in one of those screams, he literally said, so much blood. 
so she's like okay like this is a little bit weird but whatever she's just kind of trying to help him through it while she's watching tv on the bed next to him and she's just flipping through the channels when all of a sudden she sees a house that she recognizes on tv she's like wait isn't that wonderland (gasps) and that's when the news anchor says four bodies were found inside of the wonderland avenue townhome a young woman bloody beaten gashed in the forehead has been alive and taken to the hospital so you've got four bodies and one survivor so you've got five victims Holy and shit. she's just kind of watching this like wait what and apparently what they said on the news was that these furniture movers in the townhouse next to wonderland heard a bunch of moaning and they looked into it and they saw that there was a bloodied woman trying to get help inside of the wonderland townhome so Uh they called the police i mean this is just all so crazy so it seemed like it happened you know hours ago right Uh uh-huh so she's like okay this is this is a little bit weird so she starts kind of just sitting there watching it john wakes up and he just stares at the tv uh-huh. And she said it's almost like he looked paralyzed. That's all she can kind of describe it. Just frozen watching the TV. And the police even said, you know, it's as if someone walked through the house with just buckets of red paint or blood and just threw it everywhere. I saw the crime scene photos. I never want to see those photos ever again. It's really intense. You almost your brain almost makes you feel like they're not real. Like it feels like, oh, this is probably like a made for TV remake because there's no way like it was so much blood oh my god so much blood it was a grisly murder scene but how did that happen oh they don't really know yet so the police end up spending over 24 hours at the crime scene to gather evidence they're gathering fingerprints they're gathering all of this stuff i mean it was really extensive because you're talking about um a gang lives there with lots of drugs and shit so they're like uh is this evidence maybe probably right so they're just logging all of these and the victims were the four well they weren't the four okay so let me tell you the victims okay they were all savagely beaten with steel pipes so there was no gunshot wounds there was no knife slashings i mean this was a brutal murder so people were actually considering this the second manson murders is what everyone called it because the manson murders happened not too long before this and this was almost just as bloody they said so they're like what's going on in la like what is happening in california right so joy miller was one of them and she was unrecognizable she was attacked on the head her boyfriend billy was also attacked on the head he had broken ribs and broken fingers so that indicated that he tried to fight back now Mm -hmm. ron the head of the gang his head was these are the police words not mine obliterated his head was obliterated david lind the fourth gang member wasn't home at the time but his girlfriend barbara richardson a 22 year old with no criminal record at all she was at the house and she died now who is the survivor then right her name is susan and she's ron's estranged wife so they were married but they weren't really talking at the time and ron had wanted to patch things up you know smooth talk susan so he invites her over she goes over and then this happens that's the day yeah and she survives i mean she does have permanent amnesia so she can't recall that night but the crazy thing is six to eight customers came in to buy drugs to the wonderland gang house And they saw the crime scene and left because they were like, dude, I'm buying drugs. Like, there's no way I can call the cops and tell them, hey, I'm trying to buy some heroin. And I think my drug dealer is dead. Six people. Yeah. So they saw that scene and they just left. Right. And then there was about 12 hours that Susan just laid there. 
like moaning for help. And the neighbors were all questioned. They were like, you know, this is Laurel Canyon. This is a really bougie area. This is not really a place where you constantly hear beatings and shootings and screaming and tortured screams. And they said, listen, we freaking hate that house. Like they have ragers all day, every day, every night. So to hear tortured screams coming out of that house is not rare. Like I know that sounds crazy, but it's like an everyday thing to hear people screaming in that house. What the fuck? So they were like, we just thought it was another party. That's why the furniture movers, they weren't, you know, they didn't know about this house. They didn't know that they had people screaming in there every day. So they're working on the next townhome and they hear all this like moaning and groaning from Susan 12 hours later. And they see through the window that there's someone dying. So they call the cops. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. So the police try to construct a timeline of the murders and it seems like all of the people in the house took a bunch of drugs and at around 4 a.m. they all crashed and went to sleep when several men entered the house armed with metal pipes. They think that they attacked Barbara, David's girlfriend, first in the living room. She was beaten repeatedly. Then they went downstairs to Ron and Susie and then they went all the way upstairs to Joy and Billy where they were attacked in bed. So they think... It's multiple people. Yeah, because there's no way, you know. So they're like, what is going on? Now, John and Don, they're staying in the motel room and they weren't really talking about it. But Don knew, I mean, something, there's a weird connection here, right? It's just not normal, okay? Here's what's going on. David Lind returns months later, actually. Um, to the house and he believes that, you know, everything on the news, he thinks his girlfriend is the one that's alive still because the news is like there's a female survivor. So he's like, oh, that's my girlfriend, Barbara. Um, But it wasn't. Uh It wasn't at all. And that's when the police get their first lead because they're like, I'm sorry, your girlfriend has passed. Susan Lanius is the one that survived and he's mad and he starts screaming at that police. Tell that motherfucker Holmes he's dead. Like motherfucker Holmes. I mean, in quotes, right? Holmes did this. Holmes did this. Holmes is involved. Why? How does he know? Yeah. And so they're like, what do you mean? Why would he be involved? Do you mean the porn star? And so he's like, yeah, that fucker did it. And he's like, listen, here's the evidence I lay before you. Right. He says, so John Holmes comes into our house one day and he's like, listen, guys, I'm going to make you rich. And that was June 28th. The murders happened July 1st. So that was like two days before. Right. Uh He says, I'm going to make you all rich. And he says, here's my master plan. You guys know I'm best buds with Eddie Nash, right? Uh Yeah, you do. Well, I know he has tons of drugs and cash at home. And I can open the back screen door. I can unlock it before I leave. And the next day or in the middle of the night, you guys come in with masks and you steal it all. And I get a cut. You get a cut. We all get a cut and we all get rich. Uh Uh-huh. So that's exactly what he did. He unlocked the sliding glass door that night of June 28th and everyone came over with masks on, with guns and stuff at night and they swarmed the house. So Eddie Nash always had a bodyguard, but they were both overpowered. Eddie Nash was forced onto his knees and he was forced to beg for his life. He prayed for his kids. He prayed for his life. I mean, it was a very humiliating moment for Eddie, which he this type of personality does not do well with humiliation. Right. Yeah. And so David, Ron and Billy are in there. They end up stealing close to a million dollars worth of cash, jewelry and drugs. Holy shit. A million dollars. And does Eddie have any clue who they are? He will soon. So oh. police immediately when they're hearing this story, there's like, first of all, there's two mistakes. Even the police know about Eddie Nash. They're like, first of all, robbing Eddie Nash is the first mistake. Second of all, letting Eddie Nash live 
is your second mistake oh like you don't rob someone like that and just let them live like you kill them like if you're gonna do all that you're a dead man walking if you don't kill them like what are you gonna do with all that cash nothing you're dead <laughs> the cop's like i'm not even gonna charge <laughs> you because you're gonna be dead <laughs> you're dumb anyway uh, we're not trying to do paperwork if we don't have to like he was just like what and so the murders happened july 1st just like a couple days later, the police are like, obviously, this is not a coincidence, especially with a personality like Eddie. So they're like, we got to find John Holmes. We got to find John Holmes. It was really not that hard. They end up knocking down the motel door and they p- take both of them in. So they question John Holmes and they question Don. Mm-hmm. And John just kind of tells them everything. <laughs> He's just like, listen, um, here's what happened. Eddie started putting two and two together. So one of his friends had actually seen me wearing some of the jewelry that we stole um, out and about in LA. Yeah, like in Hollywood, I was wearing like the watch that we stole from him. And uh, yeah, it was dumb. Anyways, so Eddie starts putting it together, especially because like right before the murders happened, he kept like going to Eddie's like back door and just was being a little bit suspicious. You know, I'm sure he kept on, right? So Eddie was putting it together that I helped him or these robbers facilitate all of this robbery. Uh So he gets mad at me and he said, listen, John, you need to take care of it. So he sends me with these random three dudes because when you go to the Wonderland gang house, they don't just open the door for anyone. They're heroin dealers. They're not... They're not dumb, you know, like it could be somebody else. It could be the cops, you know, so they only let it open for people they trust. So they said, Eddie said, John, you have to go pretend it's just a normal day. You're here to just talk about robbing me again. And you're going to let in my three, my three um, henchmen in with you secretly. They're not going to know. And then you guys are going to beat them to death. And so John's claim is that he did not beat them at all. He only watched. He was forced to watch the killing. And the police even asked, you know, it seems more effective to kill people with guns, especially when you have that number of people in a residential area. Like, you probably want to be in and out, right? Yeah. And he said, well, that's the thing with Eddie. He didn't want to use any guns because he wants to send the right message. Yeah, yeah. So John claims he watched as they were murdered. He refused to give the names of the men because he was like, then I'm a dead man walking, dude. And he refused to testify because he was like, again, there's nothing LAPD can do to protect me. Okay, y'all are a joke. did he say it was from Eddie? Yeah, but he's saying without anything he says, without giving the names of the people who went for Eddie or any of these they can't really charge Eddie, you know, and he can't be the one to do it because Eddie's got dudes everywhere. Then what the hell are you confessing? I know. He's a little <laughs> weird. So the police realize they have no evidence of tying John Holmes to the murders. So they release him. And wow. that's when John and Don run for their freaking life. OK, they just zip out of there. They said, I'm done. Now, Don gets a lot of hope. Because as they're leaving Los Angeles, It seems like John's more relaxed. I mean, he's still controlling. He's still possessive, but he's not as mean. And Mm. to her, that's hope, you know, because she had been abused for so long. She felt like maybe this is the next chapter in our lives. So they drive aimlessly across the country and they end up in Florida where they both find work. So John starts working at a construction site. Don starts working at a motel where she's cleaning the motel rooms. And it's good for a while until John gets back into drugs. So he starts doing more cocaine and then he's like, listen, you cleaning rooms, me being a construction worker is obviously not enough money for cocaine. So you got to be pimped out again. And that's when she was just so 
upset and he starts beating her. Now, this time was different because she was working for the motel that they were staying at and the、mm. motel owners really liked Don. So they heard this and that's when they stopped the beating and they convinced her to leave him and stay with one of their friends. So she ends up going. And staying with a friend, and Holmes calls her every single day, just apologizing. Like, I'll never do it again, baby. I was just high. I'm sorry. Like, I'll never do it again. And this time, she rejected him.、Mm-hmm. And she said it was so hard because it's like breaking up with someone you love, right? It's not just like, this person hit me. I hate him. You know, it's so hard, right?、Mm-hmm. And she rejected him. And she said it was like a switch. John just got so mad and he was mean again. And he was like, well, then fuck you. Hmm. And she was like, oh my God, okay. So then she's trying to move on, right? And as she's trying to move on, she gets a knock at the door from a detective. And they said, you know why we're here, right? She's like, yeah, I mean, I think so. And they said, we tracked you down, girl. It wasn't easy, but we're here for John. Where's John?、Mm-hmm. And she's like,、uh, I don't know. No, Don, you don't want to play this game. Okay, listen, let's sit down. So the police start talking to her, and they said, Listen, we found forensics. He has a left handprint above Ron's bed. So that kind of the position of that handprint was on the wall above his headboard. It looks like as someone was bracing up against the wall while beating with their dominant hand. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. she was like, What? And then they were like, Listen, yeah, I mean, it's really bad. We've got this forensic evidence. We're going to charge him for murder. Whether you help us or not.、Uh-huh. So she tells them where the police can find John, and、uh-huh. he was arrested, flown to LA to be tried for the Wonderland murders. Four counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and he pled not guilty. So there was no three men, allegedly. Yeah, so this trial was going to be intense. So the police knew. That he didn't do it alone. The police knew that there had to be other people in the house that night, but、huh. they couldn't get anything and they were under a lot of pressure to at least charge someone, at least try someone. So it doesn't look like to the whole world, like, God, what's wrong with California, you know?、Yeah. And so they were like, God, it's too much pressure. So they charge him. Now, the police know that Eddie Nash is the mastermind, but because John doesn't testify, they have no evidence against Eddie, they just have nothing. And the trial was just a weird, weird trial. Like, imagine, like, the prosecutor knows that he's probably not the only person that committed this murder. And he was, I don't want to say a victim, too, but just not the most evil person of the murder, right? They just, there's no way they could catch Eddie. Yeah, there was nothing. And、What? they said it was so crazy because in a trial like this, where even John's like defense attorney was trying to say, well, there's this person named Eddie, you know,、yeah. and getting the jury confused, Eddie now shows up in the back of the courtroom as almost like this intimidation tactic. And it freaking worked. Wait, so is it true that Eddie was behind this? Um, later, he does get convicted.、Oh, but、shit. way later, in like、okay. 2000 something, yeah. Okay, okay.、Um, yeah. So it was just weird. Like, Susan ends up testifying. She's the only survivor, but she doesn't remember anything. She just says shadowy figures, you know, and that was just so rough. Like, they said watching her kind of like limp to the stand and just the trauma. Oh, God. Now, this is what's shocking. The jury ends up acquitting him. They said, we're going to give him an acquittal. He was acquitted. Why does that word sound so weird? <laughs> yeah. They believed that John was also a victim. Wow. This was a shock.、Um, the police were shocked. The prosecutor was shocked. And a bunch of the jurors, like at least one of them, had actually called the police 
and told them the next day, hey, I kind of regret the acquittal. It's like, is there anything I can do? And the prosecutor was like, too little, too late. Like, no, there's yeah. nothing. Wow. So they believe that John Holmes was acting under severe duress. So he was also a victim. He did end up ser- serving about 110 days for contempt of court, which means like you're not doing what the court's asking you. Like we're asking you for to testify. Like we're asking you to name the three men and you won't. So mm-hmm. they charged him for that. Now, once he gets out of jail, this is where it's like so freaking weird. He becomes a born again porn star, like a celebrity, because think about it. Wonderland murders like these were almost as big in L.A. as the Manson murders. Everyone was talking about it. And a porn star at the center of the investigation. Then he gets acquitted. And now everyone's looking at him as this victim. They're like, let me ask your D. Yeah, so he just, his film career just kickstarted again, and it was intense. Now, he was definitely not making as much money as he did before because it was no longer the golden age of porn. This is when porn became incredibly saturated, and I believe today it's more similar to this where it's really saturated, and unless you are at the top, it's it's not the easiest, right? Mm-hmm. So he just was just living life like that. He meets a woman that he really likes. He's on and off on drugs and Don was shocked I mean to to her this was the biggest slap in the face you know by this point she realized what had been done to her she had been abused she had been groomed and now people are almost idolizing this Mm, dude yeah kind of seeing him as the victim of this whole situation and she's like whoa I mean what yeah. She just was really disgusted and she just that caused a lot of trauma in her, too. Now, right after he starts his new film career, um, it didn't really last long. So six years since the acquittal, he ends up dying of AIDS. So he contracts AIDS, which the police that were interviewed actually said it was ironic because if he had been proven to be guilty of the murders, then he would be in jail where he couldn't get AIDS and then he'd still be alive to this day. Mm. But because he got the acquittal and he went out and he did all these things, he ended up contracting AIDS and dying. Um, he ended up hiding like the pat like the last few porn films that he was in that he had an HIV positive test and that caused an uproar. I don't think he spread it to anyone, but people were pissed. I mean, it was wow. bad. Um, before he died, he married his second wife by the name of Lori, who knew that he had AIDS. And they get married and then he ends up dying. Now, that's when the police are like, listen, this is really bad. Like, this is looking really bad on us. Like, so much shit has happened. People are like, someone needs to pay for these Wonderland murders, right? So they start just searching the house of Ed, Eddie Nash. And they find about a million dollars worth of cocaine. He ends up spending two years in prison, which is crazy because he was actually charged to be in prison for eight years. Because a million dollars worth of cocaine is insane, you know? I, I feel like some people just have, like, a little tiny speckle of cocaine. And they're like, life in prison for you, mother forker, right? So a million dollars. He gets sentenced to eight years, but he allegedly bribes a judge with a hundred thousand dollars and gets released in two years. What? So then in 1990, he gets commit or charged with conspiracy to commit murder. So very different from murder. They're just saying you you plotted this. OK, we're not saying you murdered them, but you it's like murder for hire. Right. Yeah. And he was like, OK, whatever. Let's go to trial. That's when he decides to bribe one of the jurors with fifty thousand dollars. And it became a hung jury with an 11 to one. The one bribed juror. Wow. And he got acquittal. So there was another second trial. And then he got acquitted of that. 
So then now the police are like, okay, we can't do this on our, like with ourselves, LAPD, come on. So they gang up with the FBI and they <laughs> charge him in 2000 with federal charges. So they said, listen, you are charged with racketeering, drug dealing, money laundering, jury tampering, and bribery. Uh -huh. And he says, okay, well, how about this? I will say, I will say that I'm guilty of sending my henchmen to get back my stolen property, but I'm not guilty for plotting murder. All I did was send these henchmen to get back my jewelry and maybe a fight ensued. I did not tell them with the goal of murder to go to the Wonderland house. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, the judge accepted it and he was sentenced to four and a half years with a $250,000 fine. This guy just don't give up. Holy yeah. shit. And he was released and lived till 2014 where he died at the age of 85. And he's buried in Culver City. What a wild life. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean like... He's like the, the scary Hollywood or whatever yes. LA figure. Like one of those you don't really want to mess with. Yeah. Unreal. It really does feel like Wonderland. Like it's just so weird. You don't even know what kind of world this is. It doesn't even feel like the world that I know. I'm like, what? I mean, 2020 is kind of. Oh, that's so true. I wonder if in too. 10 years we're just like, <laughs> what the fork was that? Yeah. Are we getting so used to it now, though? Yeah, for now. But yeah. imagine our kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the Wonderland age. <laughs> the Wonderland. They were in Wonderland. <laughs> Just kidding. We were at home <laughs> the whole year. <laughs> Literally, we never left. Okay, sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really sad. When you look at it, you've got six victims but then just the scope of everything with eddie nash and just all of this i'm like how many victims could be associated with this story how many How's victims Dawn? of wonderland is she, is she still alive yes very traumatized very angry that people idolize john holmes mm. and even you know she said even to this day there's a lot of like made for tv remakes and they really kind of make john almost seem like a victim to it all too but mm. he wasn't so I get her anger for sure. I mean, I don't get it like to the level that she has, but I see exactly why she would feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Wonderland's dangerous, guys. Don't go. <laughs> I mean, what even is Wonderland? I think I'm losing it. <laughs> I think I'm losing it. <laughs> Let me know. What are your thoughts on this case? I mean, what I feel like every aspect of this case was kind of mind boggling today. <laughs> it's a wild case. It's a wild one. It's a ride. It's a ride. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Rotten Mango hosted by. St oh, we didn't even. I'm Stephanie. <laughs> and that's my side hoe over there. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>